All right. Thank you, David. How seriously do you take false teachers? Do you take care to ensure that what you are being taught is accurate? Do you take care to ensure that the teaching that your family and friends are under are grounded in biblical truth? Do you take care to ensure that the leaders and teachers that you surround yourselves with and that are in your church agree with the sound words that are revealed to us in the Bible? The consequences of you not doing so could very well be eternal. For you are the unsuspecting person who finds themselves under the teaching of these false teachers. You see, there's many different things that we can fear as human beings here on this earth. We can fear things like cancer, which has a corrosive and disruptive effect on our physical being and can destroy our body. Recently, we can fear things like COVID and the impact and uh, the uncertainty that goes along with that and its ability to also destroy the body. Um, What correlates those two things, that those two things destroy the body and the flesh, that which is temporary. Now, what we should really fear is false doctrine because that effect can destroy the souls and have an eternal impact on us. If this teaching that of the false teachers is left unchecked and unexposed, those following it can be led and blinded to or led astray from the faith and find themselves not on a path to eternal joy, but on a path to eternal damnation in hell. And Paul understood the gravity of this situation, which is why he adamantly is warning the Ephesian church about these false teachers in Timothy. As we've been talking about for some time now, the Ephesian church was a hot mess. False teachers in doctrine had become a real issue for them. We know this for a fact because Paul brings it up on three separate occasions within this book alone. Chapter one, he opens the book in verse three by urging Timothy to charge certain people not to teach any different doctrine. Paul brings it up again in chapter four, verses one and five, when he states that some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to the teaching of demons. And then he gives some examples of some false doctrine that had been going about, such as rejecting marriage or abstaining from foods, both of which God has called good and are things that we should enjoy with thankfulness and gratefulness. You see, Paul understood that if the false doctrine and false teachers are left unchecked, the church he has helped establish and the people that he has helped shepherd risk being led astray from their faith. And this issue was not unique to the Ephesians. See, Paul appealed against the very same subject to the church in Rome in Romans 16, 17 through 18, which says, watch out for those who cause division and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. It was not unique to them then, and it is certainly not unique to us now. Those who seek to twist the gospel truth to serve their own selfish gain are out there. And we, as a people and body who ground our lives upon the Bible, we must be watchful. We must be on guard. And how are we to do that? It starts by knowing who these teachers are and then exposing them. And this is exactly what Paul seeks to help us as he gives two ways to unearth a false teacher here in 1 Timothy 6, 3 through 10. Again, two ways to unearth a false teacher in 1 Timothy 6, 3 through 10. The first way is that he exposes what he teaches in 3 and 5. Verse 3, we'll look at some of the content of what he teaches. And verse 4 and 5 provides a little bit more additional clarity on the fruit and the results 
of this teaching. Verse 3 says, If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ. So his teaching, quite simply, contradicts the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. False teachers publicly teach doctrine that is contrary to Christ's teaching, which is found in the word of God. This book that we have been given. This is not the read your Bible more sermon, but this should make us stop and think. Do I truly know the word of God and the Bible enough to be able to combat the false doctrine that we could potentially be presented with someday? If you truly know what this is, then you will know what it isn't and what is not in it. You will know that false doctrine is that these false teachers are spreading. So it's contrary to Christ's words as revealed in the Bible. Second, the teaching is contrary to godliness, Christ-like character. In the latter half of verse 3 it says, doctrine does not agree with the doctrine conforming to godliness. The doctrine of these false teachers cannot lead to a life of godliness. True doctrine as exposed in the scripture and the word of God should lead to our lives being transformed and made into the image of Christ. The correct teaching of the scripture should lead to the fruits of the spirit being grown in the lives who live in obedience. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The words of these false teachers cannot lead to these things being developed in its ears. So, it does not agree with Christ's teaching, and nor can it produce godliness in those who hear it. That's the content. Verses 4 and 5 help us see more fruit in the results of this teaching. And verse 4 specifically clarifies that these teachers are conceited, and they understand nothing. False teachers stand in opposition to the very word of God, and they esteem their own words above the words of our Creator. They live in blind arrogance, supposing that they are more knowledgeable than God. They may know a lot, like J.D. was talking about this morning, and they may have a wisdom, but it is the wisdom of man and not the wisdom of God. Paul calls them out here and calls them conceited, which is another way of saying puffed up with pride. They are prideful people. They think they know everything and things better than the Lord, but in fact, they know nothing, nothing at least of any value. What they do have, though, is a sick craving for controversial questions and disputes about words, as the passage continues on. These people pursue things which do not build up believers, but rather tears them down as well as their churches. This is the giving themselves up to matters and endless debates over genealogies and terminologies that he urges the people not to do in the first chapter of Timothy. Which Timothy in verses 4 of chapter 1 which says, Nor pay attention to myths and endless genealogies which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God which is by faith. See, they are not content with the sufficiency of the gospel. And therefore they amuse themselves with constant speculation on trivial matters instead of focusing their time and efforts on furthering the gospel. The gospel that which transforms our life. The gospel of salvation that changes people's lives. The gospel is not exciting enough for them. So they replace it with meaningless controversies and disputes out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, and constant friction, as stated in verses 4 and 5. And what are those things? Those are not attributes that align with godliness. 
No, those are fruits that are opposite of the doctrine of godliness and the fruit of the Spirit. These are deeds of the flesh, as Paul points out in Galatians 5, 19, when he says, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are sexual immorality, impurity, indecent behavior, idolatry, witchcraft, hostility, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, cursing, and things like these, of which I have forewarned you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. These are the fruits which destroy unity. These are the fruits which destroy friendships and churches. These are the fruits that define false teachers. Are the people envy? Do they constantly desire what other peoples have? Are they full of evil suspicion, thinking the worst of others? Are they constantly in strife and constant friction with themselves or the people of their church or their friends? We are to be looking for these fruits in the lives of the teachers that we have been placed around and the people that we listen to. And we are also to be mindful that these fruits do not define our lives as well. As we move on, it says that these deeds of the flesh are found in people between men of deprived mind and deprived of the truth. This is what defines false teachers. These men cannot understand the things of God because they, as we were before our salvation, are dead in their trespasses and sins, eager to do what their sinful hearts want, eyes fixed on the flesh and not the Lord. They have been exposed to the truth but have rejected it and settled for something far less. So, these false teachers spread a doctrine that is contrary to Christ's teaching and a life of godliness. And as a result, they are full of arrogance and foolishly concern themselves with worthless topics which sow disunity amongst those who are dead in the flesh. This is who they are. In opposition to God, they stand. And they don't just do this for the fun of it. No, they have something they want out of it. They want money and the things that come along with it, as Paul calls them out to be people who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. Here, Paul brings to light the motive of who their real master is, and that is money, which leads us to the second way to unearth a false teacher. The second way is that we are to expose why he teaches in verses 6 and 10. We're to expose why he teaches. To put it simply, he teaches as a means of material gain. He teaches to use the platform that the Lord has given him for his own selfish motivation, either to get more physical possessions, more monetary gain, or maybe additional prestige and recognition. And we know this man is a false teacher because his greed betrays his impure motives and marks him as a false teacher. This desire for gain is terribly dangerous. Paul spends verses 6 and 10 warning against the dangers that this love of money has for those who are entrapped in it. So not only is this desire something that we ourselves should be looking for in the lives of the teachers and the leaders that are around us, but it is also something that we must take heed of and guard against in our own hearts as well. You see, the danger of the love of money and the world is sown throughout Scripture. We are constantly being warned against it in the Word of God and to take it seriously and to be warned against the dangers of it. A few examples are these. Hebrews 13.5 says, 
Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. First John 2, 15, 17 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away, and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. And lastly, Matthew 6, 21 says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Despite these warnings, these false teachers treasure the things of this earth and view godliness as a means to gain more of it. Quite simply, they have, again, rejected the word of God. They have rejected Christ's teaching against the love of money and the dangers of it. They view their ministry as a means of gain, which in the end is no gain at all, as Paul details in the coming verses. So, godliness is not a means of worldly gain by any means, but it is a means of spiritual gain as long as it is accompanied by contentment. In verse 6 it says, but godliness actually is a means of gain if it is accompanied by contentment. So true godliness should produce in our hearts and the believers spiritual riches that are eternal. This is true gain rather than the materialistic gain promoted by these false teachers. See, we as Christians are to be satisfied with what we have and not be discontent with what the Lord hasn't given us. If we do live in discontentment, then we risk falling out of love for the things for the Lord, and then we risk falling in love with the things of this world, which is exactly what these false teachers have done. They have been given over to a lust for more, and they have not humbled themselves to the truth that everything they have has been given by God. They have their eyes and minds set on the here and now and the possessions of here and now which are feeding and fading. Paul helps us see the world as temporary by reminding us we haven't brought anything in it and we certainly can't take anything out of it. As he says in verse seven, which says, for we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. We come in with nothing and we go out with nothing. Why would we spend our lives seeking to accumulate money and possessions which are fading? The Lord clearly commands in Matthew sixteen nineteen through 20, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. How foolish is it to be so focused on temporal possessions that we miss out on eternal riches. We are not to store up for ourselves treasures here, but rather we are to be content with what the Lord has given us. If we have food and clothing, and that was it, we are to be content in those things, as verse eight states. If we have food and clothing, covering with these, we shall be content. This is a great question to ask yourselves. If all that you had in life were food and clothing, would you be content? Food and clothing are the two most basic necessities of life. Would you be content with just those things? 
Would you still praise the Lord for his provision and his grace and mercy if a family member of yours were to die? Would you still call him a good and gracious king if you lost your job and therefore your status, your wealth, and everything that came along with that if you were to lose your health? Because if you cannot truly say within your heart that you can be content in that moment, you better less be you better be watchful and mindful of that. Because the dangers of you falling into discontentedness can be severe as the dangers are immense to our souls. See, false teachers are discontent with what they have. They want more, and to get more, they deny all the warnings against the love of money in the scriptures. They compromise truth in this matter, which no doubt leads to compromise of truth elsewhere. We must strive for a heart that is grateful and thankful for what the Lord has given us. If we don't, then we risk making compromises in the teaching we consume, and we risk surrounding ourselves with people that do not align with the word of God, as Paul points out in 2 Timothy 4.3, which says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and will turn away their ears from truth. Don't look for someone to tickle your ears because you are discontent with what the Lord has given you or where the Lord has put you in life like these false teachers have done. This life in the world is temporary and the things of this world are fleeting. If you are a believer, your inheritance is in the things to come. Our treasures are not built up here on this earth. To live the Christian life is to give of oneself and one's possessions for the kingdom of Lord selflessly, holding loosely to the things of this world because it is not ultimately our home. Why should we be in love with the world when the world is fading away? Shouldn't we love what is lasting unlike the false teachers who have fallen into discontentment with what they have been given. Woe to him who is discontent and caught up in the love of money. The impact that the love of money has on its victim is destructive, which is why Paul spends so much time urging us to be content with what we have in the previous verses. And we see these dangers in the next couple verses. Verse 9 says, But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. Those who want to get rich and love money and the world are not content. They fall into temptation, snares, and many foolish, harmful desires. They are continually tempted and trapped within their greed and desire to constantly want more. In their greed and sin, they are given over to foolish and harmful desires, which are often referenced to as evil desires. Desires that do not lead to true happiness, satisfaction, or peace. Desires of envy, strife, greed, and covetousness. Desires which are contrary to godliness things that are in opposition to sound doctrine. And the result of this plunges men into ruin and destruction. See, the word plunged means to sink or to drag to the bottom. 
The pursuit of riches literally grabs us and drags us down in the water until we are drowned and dead in it. Our bodies and souls are given to it and we become a slave to money and not God. We do not serve our Lord any longer, but rather we serve money in which we truly love. The love of money kills people and consumes all their affections if one is not careful. And it's critical that we adhere to this warning against the love of money and rehearse this danger over and over lest we ourselves wander away from the faith like those who are lost to it. In verse 10 it says, for the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. You see, the danger of the love of money is that it produces in its followers all sorts of evils and it also brings believers to wandering away from the truth. It is one of the devil's greatest tools used to keep people from the faith and to keep people from staying in the faith. Are you watchful of this danger? Are we mindful of the world's enticing ways and the devil who is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking to devour you. It is so easy to get caught up in the culture and the world's perception of what is acceptable. It's okay to get more. My neighbor's getting more. It's okay for you to enjoy this. The Lord has blessed you. This is true. The Lord has given us many good things in which we are to enjoy with gratefulness and with thankfulness. Again, the issue is not the things in and of themselves, but rather it is the love of the things that is the danger. It is the lust for the things that replaces our love for the gospel that we must be mindful of. And it is hard. Never has the world been as enjoyable and comfortable to live in as it is today. We're living longer than ever. Our quality of life is better than the kings we read about in the Bible. We can have any TV show, music, movie, game in front of our faces as soon as it takes our phones to be pulled out of our pockets. We can go to the grocery stores, which are everywhere. I can go down to Price Chopper and get something, pretty much anything that I want, any time that I want. We can scroll through Amazon and order almost anything that we can possibly conceive of and have it arrive at our door in two days. I mean, it's incredible the amount of access of resources and comforts and securities that we can have today. And yes, we can enjoy those things to the glory of God, but we can also put our hope and our trust in these things. We can find our security and our comfort in these things so easily. This life can be easy to live for some, but we must keep a perspective. We must be content with what the Lord has given us, lest we find ourselves falling into a love of money, which again destroys We must fight the temptation. We must fight the temptation against the love of money. We must fight against loving it over our Lord. Our hearts must constantly be examined. We must value the Lord. We must constantly examine what our treasure is. Is it the gospel? Is it the scriptures? Is it the church? Is your hope in the things to come and the promise of eternity with our Lord and Savior? Or is it in the things of the here and now which are fading? Is it in your career, your possessions, your status? 
Do you love the world more than you love the Lord? Because the consequences of you misevaluating your heart in this matter is eternal. The love of money leads to many sorrows here on this earth. But even more prevalent, it leads to an eternity spent separated from the Lord. These false teachers were lost to it. And we must not follow suit. We must ground ourselves in sound doctrine and flee the love of money with everything that we can muster. My day job is being a financial advisor and you all can breathe a sigh of relief that I'm not going to give that up for this anytime soon. A large part of what I do is I help people invest and plan for the future. We help them accumulate wealth so that someday they can obtain financial independence and not have to work any longer than they want to have to work. I've seen firsthand how people become enslaved to the love of money in some way or another. Some people accumulate money so that they can have bigger and nicer things at some point down the road. And some people just enjoy money for the security sake of it. They find peace of mind knowing that if something happens in the market, something happens in their life circumstances, they're going to be able to have this pile of money that they can fall back onto. Instead of resting in the care of their creator who is eternal, they find their hope and their rest in this man-made thing which is temporary. A couple of weeks ago, a client of mine unexpectedly passed away from a heart attack. She was 74 and she lived a very active life and was involved in many things and in the lives of many others. In fact, we had just been in communication on some upcoming goals of hers for 2022 and beyond. But many are the plans in the minds of us, but it's truly the purpose and plans of the Lord that last and stand forever. I am struck that all those plans and goals which once seemed so important to us and her are now meaningless. All the money that she had spent her life accumulating and working and building up, it's now absolutely useless to her. All the hope that she had placed in having those assets available to her, pointless. They are of no value to her now. She could not bring any of those things before our Savior in judgment. The things of this world which seek to lure and entice us into believing that they are of the utmost value, that they are worthy of all of us and all of our attention and pursuit. And at the end of the day, though, only the blood of our Savior could save her from an eternity in hell. Unfortunately, she rejected the things of the Lord and religion and belief in the gospel, and she chose to pursue the things of the flesh. And she will have to now pay that price in eternal torment. This path is the path of false teachers. This is the path of those who substitute the true gospel for false doctrine and teaching that caters to their fleshly desires. This is the path of those who seek the fading and temporary riches of this world above our Savior Christ. The things of this world will promise us joy and peace and satisfaction. We must maintain a watchful eye on our love for these things, lest it lead us into ruin and destruction. We must hold fast to sound doctrine and guard our hearts against false teachers. We have been warned and we must pay heed. Pray with me. Lord, we're so grateful for the word of God 
that you've graciously revealed to us. We're grateful for these warning against false teachers and the love of money, Lord. The teaching in which can lead us away from sound doctrine and the gospel which leads to life, Lord. And the teaching of theirs which leads to destruction and ultimately death and hell and eternal damnation living apart from you, Lord. Would you help us to pursue, to rid ourselves of this love of money. Show us where it is living in our hearts. Help us to put it to death by your grace and by your grace alone, Lord. For we cannot do it in our own means, in our own help, Lord. We need your help in this matter. We're thankful for these warnings. We're thankful for your word, Lord.